let's open in prayer, um, and then I'll kind of give you a little background on me. Father, thank you. Thank you for this time together. Um, Thank you for this day before us, and thank you for the wonderful opportunity that you give us, Lord, um, to teach, um, to have students and residents and colleagues, Lord, with us so that you can clarify our vision as well as theirs. Lord, we ask that your presence would fill this time, that you would use it to challenge us and guide us, Lord, in how we can really have a greater impact for your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, so my name is Ines Bardella. Um, clinically, I'm a family physician, and I'm faculty at Chicago Medical School, which is part of Roslyn Franklin University. We're actually in North Chicago. We're about 30 miles north of the city of Chicago. Um, so for the last 17 years, I've been faculty in medical schools, um, and a lot of my role has been around mentoring and teaching students and residents, and in my global health missions, I you know, tend to use global health when I'm in a secular context. Um, <laughs> Um, my missions work has also been around developing students and residents um, and developing medical education, health professions education. So that's the framework that I come from. Um, I have worked in um, Kyrgyzstan a little bit, um, in Albania since 2003, um, in Rwanda for a total of three years, and now in Democratic Republic of Congo for the last two and a half, three years. And then I've done a little bit of work in Kosovo. Um, and again, all that has been about developing the education system, which to me is um, very much about the faculty um, and then very much about the students and residents who are the future professionals that are going to be in practice and what we do. Oh, are there any students or residents here? Okay, so um, so the message, the bottom line for you all is this is the information that you want to take to the people that you want to go and do things with who don't, you know, are a little bit fearful that they don't know what to do with you. Um, <laughs> that this is the information you want to take to them. And hopefully it also challenges you that when you are licensed and practicing that you will include students and residents in what you're doing so that God can really clarify their vision, give them vision and direction um, as well as yours. Um, and I actually last night uploaded everything, so if you really want my slides, are there. Um, I will start out, I want us to discuss a bit what the needs and opportunities are out there when it comes to oops, involving students and residents in education. Um, and then talk about really some specific models and strategies of things I've seen, things I've seen other people doing, things I've done uh, that work and some things to be aware of so that we don't cause disruption and harm in our process of doing this. And then really want us to have some discussion time about really what are the benefits, the challenges, the outcomes, and that will be interactive. That will be the audience participation part so that we can really apply this and make it specific and relevant for each of you and what you're doing in your context. So the rationale, the whys, and I don't think, hopefully none of this is surprising to, to all of you, but we do have a command um, from Christ that involves teaching. And I realize that those of us that are in teaching positions take that very seriously. Um, that, and it's not only about teaching, but it is a core part of it, because if we don't teach, no one hears, no one ever gets to understanding, um, and it's difficult for them to actually get to action in what they're doing in living out their life for Christ as health professionals. We really have a great opportunity, and I will apologize that I do not know the data for each of the individual health professions. Um, What I can tell you is that there is data on medical students, that a quarter of them currently will travel, do something outside the borders of the United States while they are medical students. They will, most of them will continue that into residency. I will tell you at our institution, uh, Rosam Franklin University is actually a university of graduate programs in the health sciences. Every one of our programs has it. Um, and I, so I get students from all the schools coming over and saying, thank you, Dr. Bardella. I'm like, okay, you're welcome. I'm not sure what I did. Um, and the faculty are interested as well. And so it really doesn't take much for God to use you to really be this instrument. Um, and for the students that are believers and are really looking at missions as their global health, um, to have someone that they can come to and identify and really talk about what their true vision and call is, what their real motivation is for doing this, um, and someone that doesn't say, oh, you don't want to do that um, to them. Um, and so a lot of the – and then students that are in low- and middle-income countries really want – they want more. 
Um, so the Internet has certainly helped to spawn that. And then I think all of us that go and teach um, from high-income countries have also spawned that, that there is more out there they need to know about. There's more technology. There's more information. And even if they don't have it today, they probably will have it at some point in their lifetimes. Um, and even if they never have it, they still need to know about it and understand it. So that exchange of information is very much desired and actually demanded by many of them. The concern is that there are lots of experiences out there. Um, and some of them are well done. Some of them are really useful and helpful and worthwhile, um, not only for the students and residents, but for the communities that they're going into. Some, however, cause more harm and disruption than they do anything else. Um, and I'm very upfront about that when I'm talking to students and residents, that a lot of times early on in what you're doing, you will cause more disruption than you will help. And so you at least want to be aware of that. You may not be able to prevent all of it, but you want to be aware of it and really working hard to take an approach where your presence, your involvement, is not going to cause too much disruption and will at least have some benefit to the partner or the organization that you're working with while you're there. So can we create this in a way that is really biblically sound, um, is based in scriptural evidence, um, as well as medical evidence in what we're doing? Um, I also think we have a very effective role model. Um, so the, the model of Jesus and how he really taught and prepared the disciples for their, the vision he had given them and the call that they had to really go out to the nations um, was very much about spiritual teaching. Um, it was also about professional development. It's a, it was about how do you act and interact and how do you carry out um, the ministry that's before you. He clearly modeled it in what he was doing. Um, there was a lot of interactive discussion. Um, so if you have a red-letter Bible, right, in the Gospels there's a lot of red, but there's also some black between those red where the disciples are asking questions and there's actual discussion going on. And he sent them out. So he prepared them, and then he sent them out and had them do it, and then come back and tell him about it. Um, and so it was very much experiential. And for any of you in residency education, we're now talking about entrustable professional activities, EPAs, and I would say that Jesus did that. Um, and so we really have this biblical model that should guide us as the teachers. We do have a responsibility because we have a lot. Um, financially, and I think all of us that have worked any place outside the United States, it's pretty stark to us that even if we're in primary care, even if we're in one of the areas, um, and even if we work and live in a low-income community where we don't make a couple hundred thousand dollar salaries, um, we still have more than most of the rest of the world. So there's that material wealth that we have. And then certainly as believers, there is our spiritual wealth that we have to give. We have hope. Um, we have mercy um, that people can have. And bottom line, I mean, who better? Who should be teaching the next generation if it's not us as believers in the health professions? And what better way for students and residents to see how to live their life as Christian professionals than to watch us? Now, not that we're perfect by any stretch, but to see it in action. What are the challenges? What are the difficulties that we come up against? And how do we put those into action in a way that really honors God? Um, so, really, wherever you want to take them. <laughs> so the opportunities are there. Um, and when we talked about faculty development yesterday, I stressed that as well, that when it comes to teaching, if you're going in as a health professional to teach, the doors are really wide open, even in the most limited access countries. Um, certainly, if you're taking learners with you, students or residents, you do have to think a bit about where you take them. There are some places that, because of safety, because of constraints, um, um, and restrictions on what they can say and how they can act. Um, you may not want to take just any learner with you. Um, and um, one that's not quite as restrictive, but Democratic Republic of Congo, Goma is, you know, periodically, even in the United States news. Um, and so it's not a place that I advertise to the learners in my institution. However, we have a couple of our medical students that are missionary kids. Uh, one of them grew up in the Republic of Congo. No problem for her. <laughs> so she already understands the culture, the language, the situation, um, and understands the potential for harm to her. And so for her to go is, is very different than just taking any learner with me and doing that. So high level of student, resident, and faculty interest in global health. 
um, in the high-income countries. A desire in our low- and middle-income countries for clinical research, education, development. Um, and those two things really come together with students and residents um, who have a call to faith-based both domestic and international missions. There really is a, a desire and a need for global health equity. And so in the secular word, in world, we're, we're talking a lot about health equity, um, but really improving morbidity and mortality. So again, that desire to improve health outcomes provides for us as health professionals an open door to go in. Um, and we have a high level of influence. In fact, sometimes it's really scary um, <laughs> that students, residents, patients, just because we're health professionals, automatically trust us. Um, automatically want us to be engaged with them um, and actually listen to what we're saying and watch everything we're doing. So it really is an opportunity that God can use in many, many ways. So if we look at that desire and need, then I think we really do want to ensure that there are educationally appropriate and worthwhile experiences, um, that it's reasonably safe, and that there's good accountability in the experiences that it is an opportunity for discipleship and mentorship um, of students, residents, and our colleagues as well. And it really is an opportunity to develop our low- and middle-income country partners, both spiritually and professionally. We really do want these to be sustained interactions that are collaborative, that are equitable, um, and really focus on the needs and priorities of the partners, and spiritually as well as professionally, economically, whatever their development concerns are, and at the same time minimizing the harm and disruption for the partner. So how do we do this? What are models, strategies that might actually work to make this happen? Um, the caveats I'd like you to keep in mind is really try to think about how can you make this a long-term endeavor, uh, looking at long-term outcomes, um, because it takes a lot of time to build relationships, regardless of where you are in the world. Some places take longer than others. Um, so when you're looking at spiritually, how can you have really a long-term impact? Professional development, clinical skills, how can you have long-term impact on those things? When you're working with students and residents, how can you really inspire and communicate to them vision? Um, and when students and residents ask me about, you know, countries, regions, specialty, um, the first thing I t say to them is, you know, what's the vision and call that God is giving you? Because I really think that is the starting point for them. Um, and it's often hard for them because it's 10, maybe 10, 15 years away from where they are now. Um, and when you're 20-something, that seems like a long, long time. Um, so, but really helping them look towards that, sharing your vision, um, your call that God is giving you. And as always, actions speak louder than words because they are watching you. <laughs> Again, a little bit scary. Um, and our students, residents, colleagues, they really do want meaningful relationships. Um, the current 20, 30-something generation gets a really bad rap for being too screen-oriented. I would say that all of us are too screen-oriented. Um, what I find, though, is when I give them a choice, you know, I send an email, they want to meet with me, I send an email, and I say, you know, I understand your busy schedule, we can do this by email, we can do a phone call, or I can meet with you. Given those three choices, they will almost always take meet with me. Um, that that face-to-face -face relational time is still important for all of us. So use it to God's advantage. All right, so how can you get involved? Um, well, the good news for you is I recently did a literature search for another meeting. Um, <laughs> so you get to benefit from that. Um, and probably not a lot of surprises here, that if you look at the literature about what are schools and programs doing to have global health curriculum and what they do. So many places have independent electives. And so I think that's what you're going to find, that, and pretty much across the health professions, that students, residents will be getting in touch with you because they have the opportunity to do an elective. Um, and their school will have some requirements and objectives, which obviously you need to pay attention to. But they will actually have um, a fair amount of flexibility in how they craft that time. So that's one of the, the easiest opportunities for you to be involved with students and residents. Um, there will often be a didactic components. Don't get too scared by that word. Um, you may not have to actually worry about providing that, and there's some resources in my material that you could actually use if they do say, oh, they need to do a module on this. Well, there's some places that have already created the module, so you don't have to worry about that. 
Um, most of what they'll probably be wanting is that experiential part, the clinical part. But don't forget about the research, the projects, um, the community assessments. Um, you know, this doesn't have to be sequencing the DNA of whatever parasite. Um, it can be, and that's, that's great. That's, that's important, too. Um, but it can be community-based research things. It can be public health. It can be a project where, that you're implementing around health education and then measuring the outcomes um, with a simple survey, preferably in the language of the people participating in the health education and not in English. Um, they often will have elect for, um, they will have options for selectives. So most um, educational institutions have required courses. Um, and among those, sometimes students are given the option of, you must do four weeks of internal medicine, or you must do four weeks of hospital-based pharmacy, but you can do it anywhere as long as we think the person that's serving as your faculty is credible. And so, again, another option for them to go someplace and do it outside the borders of the United States or at a local underserved setting. Um, many schools now have a formal curriculum that may be actually required and integrated into the overall school curriculum. Um, and I would say that if you're in a position where you can influence curriculum, um, that's the direction I'm really encouraging people to go because regardless of what you believe, regardless of where you think you're going to practice, you really need to understand the whole picture around the world of disease, of culture, of social determinants of health. Everybody needs to know that. Um, many programs, especially residencies, um, some medical schools, some other health profession schools, um, will have tracks or programs, so students can select to be in these tracks or programs. They often then have a project a scholarly activity, um, a capstone, something that they have to do, and they will be looking for a mentor. So this is a huge opportunity to get involved because all of the schools and residencies that have these are always looking for mentors for the students and residents. So another opportunity to get involved, and it's usually a longer commitment. So it's a two- to four-year commitment. Um, they're not going to be with you every day, every week. Um, but in chunks of time, they will spend time with you to work on that project. So if you have something going on, again, does not have to be sequencing of the newest parasite's DNA. Um, but whatever your activity is, um, getting them involved allows them to fulfill a requirement in their program that they've selected and allows them to be mentored and discipled by you as they carry out this activity. So that's a great opportunity to get involved. Um, and believe me, the students that are believers and have a call to missions, they are looking for folks like all of us. Um, they're looking for someone who really understands their motivation and their perspective and can really mentor them beyond just the academics. Um, and then many residencies have fellowships, fellowships in global health, uh, fellowships in faculty development that might be combined with their global health, and many of them offer the opportunity for other degrees, often a master's in public health, but it could be business administration, it could be health administration, other areas. So again, a place to get involved because they want and need mentors for those residents. Be a partner on this side of the United States. So if you're with an organization, um, even if it's decidedly and openly Christian, um, offer to be a partner with the medical school, the pharmacy school, the nursing school, um, whatever the health profession institution is that's convenient and close to you, um, or maybe not even close to you, but, but at reasonable distance. Um, so that you can really be part of interjecting those Judeo-Christian values into it. Because most of the values that we're talking about, most schools and programs would agree to. I mean, compassion. Um, they might not really understand the word mercy, so you might not want to start out with that one. But compassion and empathy are things that they want their learners to develop. Um, integrity, um, they want them to have. Um, and so it's an opportunity to bring those values and really influence the system. Um, be a site where students and residents can come. So even if you're here, if you, especially if you serve an underserved population, be a site where they can come and learn how you do that. Um, and I think most of us that have been doing this for a while realize that it takes several years to figure out how to make that flow well. Um, I will admit that not just for the first five years after residency, probably for the first 15. Um, <laughs> I was still honing, you know, how do I get poor patients with multiple pro complex problems, how do I move that through the office 
in any sort of reasonable time frame because two hours a patient was not going to work um, for any of us. <laughs> so just how do you make that happen? So learning that from you now will really help them in their development of how are they going to serve. If you are working outside the United States, then be the partner out there because, again, the, all of the health profession schools, um, residencies are looking for partners outside the United States, inside the United States that serve underserved population because they've got these quarter of their students that want to do something and they need some place to send them. Um, <laughs> and so, again, whether it's education, research, um, clinical care, all of those things they're looking for in doing that. Um, I'm a real advocate for engaging the faculty. So students and residents are great. They really are the next generation. And the current generation has to be engaged if we're going to really have sustainability in a continuum. So look for faculty, because many faculty are really looking for opportunities to, to further engage, whether, especially the researchers, um, even the basic science researchers, um, are looking for ways to engage in new ways and to expand their opportunities for funding. Um, so they're looking for partners that can do that with them. And that then gives you a foundation and a core of consistency because if faculty get involved, you can do longer-term projects. Um, be an advisor. To me, that's the easiest thing to do um, is to be an advisor for career, for specialty, um, for, especially, again, for the students that are truly interested in a Christian faith-based mission direction in their lives, they, again, need those sort of advisors, which that doesn't take as much time as mentoring. Uh, just people they can periodically call, email, meet with, and ask those questions about how do you make this happen, uh, what happens, you know, with my spouse, what do I do with them, they're not a health professional. Um, they may actually be more needed than you are, just by the way. Uh, my husband has a business background, so they actually care about him more than me, um, <laughs> which is great. It makes him feel really good. <laughs> um, Take them with you wherever you're going. Again, always cognizant of are there some safety concerns that need to be addressed. Um, schools get all up in arms when they see the State Department warnings. But we'll talk a bit about how to kind of calm them down a little bit. Um, and then once you realize how great this is, um, be a mentor. You know, really take that time and invest. And sometimes being a mentor is a few years. Sometimes it's several years. Um, sometimes it's the lifetime and the relationship changes um, dramatically from being the, you know, kind of older mentor <laughs> to you're still older, but now that person has risen. <laughs> and they're at least as mature as you are, maybe more so. Um, and, and there's a lot of peer mentoring going on at that point and collegiality that really becomes friendship. So those sorts of relationships are really wonderful. And I think any of us that have had them would be happy to attest to that. Um, so a mentor within the global health program, um, specific projects, whether they're community-based, whether they're research, um, the Christian group on campus. Um, one of our things at Rosalind Franklin is we're interprofessional, and one of the many wonderful things about that is the Christian group is actually not only the medical students, it's really all the health profession students. So in our situation, the students are looking for multiple different professionals from the community to get involved. And you don't have to show up at every meeting. In fact, I try to get out of the way. <laughs> My, my, I look, tell them that, you know, I'm here to be available for you and not mess up what God is doing through you. Um, so just being available to them, hosting things at your home, at wherever, um, to get them off the campus and, and out into real life is really helpful. Um, and again, taking them with you wherever you go. Um, so even if it's local, um, if it's outside the United States, including them in it. Um, and better yet, they will love you if you become a clinical faculty, if you become officially part of the faculty, because then you're engaging much more regularly. Um, and it permits the students, and especially the residents, to get credit. Students are easy because the accrediting for them, um, accrediting and giving credit for their experience is actually a little easier. Residents are a little bit difficult, um, at least on the medical side of residencies, because in order for the resident to get credit for the experience, um, it, the faculty with them needs to be faculty within the program. Um, now, not a difficult thing for you to do if you're interested in going that route, but it does, for the residency, it makes it much smoother for them to then give credit for that experience the resident is, is going in. And also opens up many opportunities, again, for you to influence on committees. And I know we're all looking for more committees. Um, <laughs> 
However, <laughs> um, when you have the opportunity to do that, when God opens up those doors, it really is, again, you know, it's a way to influence who's getting admitted to the schools and the residency programs. Um, and it turns out that who we admit matters more than anything else we do. Not a surprise probably to any of us if you think about it. You know, it's more about what you bring in. What you bring in determines what you get out at the other end. So being able to be part of that. Um, after we get them in, it does matter a little bit. Actually, not as much as you think, but a little bit what we do in the curriculum. So, again, getting involved in determining what happens in that curriculum, bringing Christian values. Don't tell them they're Christian values. Um, <laughs> if it's a secular institution. But really bringing that, that approach and those values into it um, are really important. And then maximizing the benefits um, for where you're working, Um, the people that you're working with, the institutions you're working with, minimizing harm and disruption. To me, that's where having long-term partnerships really work. And so if you're already working someplace, you already have a partner. You already have a, a really good understanding of what's going on there and how you can minimize disruption and improve impact for both the gospel and the health um, of the community, which, as you might guess, I think are very much tied together. Um, you'll be able to give more clarity about expectations, goals, objectives, what's really possible for the learner in the environment where you're working. Um, because you've probably already learned that it takes many years to figure it all out. <laughs> um, and there's still always some surprise, right? Ten years later, somebody tells you something where you're going, I wish we would have known that ten years ago. Um, <laughs> but it's happened. Um, Really preparing learners before they go. We have a series of workshops that they're required to participate in before they go that doesn't cover everything, but really covers the basics of the process, preparation, culture, challenges them with some scenarios to just at least start thinking through things, talking about how do you try to protect yourself from harm, from illness, Um, what do you do if the person that's supposed to pick you up at the airport in the country doesn't show up, how do you try to be prepared for that. Um, And then just as important when they come back, having some sort of post-travel debriefing, Um, a chance to process what's happened. And it's also important to probe for were there truly disasters or near disasters, and, you know, nobody even emailed you to let you know what was going on. Um, So a way to really process it again so that they can then build on that going forward. And I really, you know, even in a secular environment, challenge our students with, you know, what is this going to mean professionally for you? So what does this mean five or ten years from now? Um, getting them back to that thinking bigger vision and not looking at this as just a one-time experience and it was great and it was nice and I liked it and that's it. So really trying to make it more than that. Okay, so what can be? So what do you see in your situation and the opportunities you could provide as potential benefits for students and residents? It blows our it does. It does. And that, that is one of the biggest things. Completely changes it. And especially if they keep doing it again and again and again. It, you're right. It really does. Um, because they have a little more autonomy. Still have to be supervised. But have a little more autonomy. So they find out they can actually do things. They can actually have an impact. Um, we take student medical school students on our admission trips and not always Christian, so um, I've almost find, found it just amazing to take non-Christians on the trip when they see the real body of Christ out there, and now they're influenced, and they get to see real Christianity, and you know whatever that whatever seed that planted at the time, that's that's my prayer for them. And you're right, and many, right, many of us are talking about how the benefit is so great for those folks. So they have an interest in doing something globally. They have an interest in serving that's fairly sincere. Um, And now suddenly they're immersed in the situation, surrounded by Christians who have a very deep motivation from God about doing this, you're right. And, And as we all know, when you get into a completely different environment, and especially outside the United States, completely different culture, completely different challenges, you start to really see some things differently. So you're right. So I agree. And, and many organizations are making that effort now that they, may, they are a Christian organization, and they invite 
anyone who wants to come, um, you probably do have to pay attention to the numbers. You don't want to make, <laughs> you want to make sure that, that your influence and your impact, right, are going to be about your mission um, as an organization, as an entity. But, yes, including non-believers, it's a really, really good way to challenge them. We, we go to Nicaragua to public health, but we also try to do, get them involved in the culture. One of the things we sometimes do is uh, show us sweatshops where the very articles they buy are made, and then meet some of the people that might work in those sweatshops. kind of moves us out of our self-absorption and get a little more of a global understanding of the influence our, our lives have on other people. So do you do you do any so afterwards yes. do you do okay how do you debrief them because I think that's really valuable. Well, uh, part of it is to to prepare them beforehand to know that's what's going to happen. So we talk this year we're going to talk about um, uh, there was a difficulty in Nicaragua with with the banana plantations with the pesticides that were used. It was a big deal. There was, a, there was and and for them to understand that the. Uh, and see that, and play the video, the, the movie, and the, the whole the whole works, and discuss it, and then maybe go and talk to some of the people. I'm going to ask if, if we can't have some people maybe who work in Atlanta plantations or the, the legal people in Nicaragua who were involved in the case, suing Dole and some other uh, people, uh, to talk with the students while they're there, and then we'll come back and they will give a debrief their own feelings and thoughts about it, and then we'll kind of guide that discussion. Perfect. That, that's great. That's a great example. So, yes, do that. <laughs> For those who already, both Christian and non-Christian, who think they want to do global health, it really helps to um, just get exposure, especially if there's long-term people there already. So it can kind of de-romanticize it and yet make it sometimes, it be, I mean, but it still builds the desire, but not necessarily in the, sometimes I think that's, that they just see the one side of it. In the, the, the glamour of, oh, I'm wearing overseas. I think it helps for them to see this is what it is. You can still do this, but this is what it is. Yes, absolutely, because you're right. You know, we want to keep the vision and idealism. We don't want to completely lose that, but there is that practical reality of, you know, here's the reality of it. <laughs> it's a really good idea. Here's the reality. So now what do you do? Um, so you're right. So it really helps them build that, that reality application and start thinking about, okay, if I want to do this, if I'm being called to do this, what does it really mean? Somebody else? Yeah, um, oh, uh, they'll see a lot of diseases they may never see here, you know, maybe see quite a variety of malaria, ascaris, bowel obstruction, those kinds of things. Exactly right. And so from a depth and breadth of their clinical knowledge and skill development, you're right, that they, they will see, and, they, and they'll see different presentations um, than they may see here, um, which, you know, as most of us that have been doing this for a while realize that not everything follows exactly the checklist of how they're supposed to present. So it helps them really think more completely and more deeply about disease processes, how to manage those, and ones that they may never see or may rarely see if they're only in the United States. I think on the treatment side of that, too, it forces us to critically think about like, what is available after we're gone. How can you, you know, like water sanitation, how can you um, use what they already have to maximize that treatment in the long term? Absolutely. Right. So, uh, you know, clean water. Um, latrines that don't empty into the clean water um, will actually prevent most of the disease, right? And then if you do need to use medications, I like what you said about what's already there. Um, thinking about this from the sustainability piece of if we're bringing in stuff, does it really have that long-term impact of truly improving morbidity and mortality? So what's already there? Because many places, most of the, the core and critical medications are there. It's just how do you then get the access and affordability um, and do that in a context that's actually going to be sustainable and work there and what's going on. On those same lines, um, the diagnosticians over there, I mean, I think we get so um, reliant on, like, all of our imaging and labs. And I remember when I was overseas, I mean, we just diagnosed everything. When I came back, I was like, I don't even know. What are you guys doing? What are you running all these labs for? Good idea. It's huge because that's like most, and I always tell them history physical guides you, but here we get 
relying on other things. And so it really helps to just learn from doctors who that's all they have. You're exactly right. To learn from the health professionals there that are truly in very limited resource settings and how do they still provide very good care. Um, And um, so it challenges them to think differently. They learn from other people um, in that context. And then I think it makes it even more valid for us to challenge here. So for all of us, let me encourage you to bring that same approach back here because you're right. Very clearly, we spend too much money on uh, labs and imaging and all of this stuff. And like you, I'm often the voice on rounds going, so tell me why we ordered the CBC for six days in a row. <laughs> and it's been normal all six days. <laughs> the, 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 working with partners uh, that are there is very important uh, for a lot of reasons. But one of them is uh, to do uh, the least amount of harm. Because a lot of times when we import a lot of what we have available, it undermines the, the people who have to stay there and work continuously. Uh, they, people don't want to go to them anymore. We don't take, we haven't been, ta- where we go uh, right now doing uh, public health, we don't take um, clinical teams because they're trying to train uh, the, the people there uh, to work in their own, they make their own clinics, mm-hmm. they have communities in charge of their own the health, and they're trying to train them to do a lot of things that we might go in and do. And, and so in those communities, we don't do clinical things, we just work with the people who are there trying to help them and, uh, and try not to undermine them so that after we leave, they say, well, we don't go back there and bring somebody who really knows what they're doing, you know, kind of thing, which is not sustainable for them. Yeah, thank you. That is a great model of a wise, <laughs> um, insightful approach that um, has clearly looked at what is it that the community needs and wants and how do you do that in a way that's actually going to, build and empower and develop them as opposed to completely disrupt the system and cause more harm. It was that asset-based kind of thing uh-huh. that, you know, if, if people talk about is, is working with what they have. And, right. right. Because, you know, e- even though there will hopefully be worldwide economic improvement that gets even to those most destitute places, it's going to be a while. Um, and so we were, there really isn't the ability, there's, even though there's a lot of money in the world, there's not enough to just keep dumping it in. And it's also not the best way for people to have responsibility and growth spiritually, professionally, personally in what they're doing. So, exactly. Sorry. I think another thing is you can often get insight into local health beliefs and practices that you're not aware of. I remember one place I was, they bring in these babies with umbilical hernias and they have all these little round things around the umbilicus. Mm-hmm. Like what is that? You know, and they had this like cupping practice where they, or they burn, put burns because they think umbilical hernias are caused by evil spirits and they're trying to drive them out. Or, you know, uh, maybe a place where they use a lot of Chinese medicine where babies come in with poisonings. And, you know, I wouldn't have been, if nobody clued me in, I would never stop Chinese medicine. So, <laughs> I mean, you have to kind of learn from them what in their worldview, how they practice when they're not in your clinic, you know. Exactly. Um, and so a lot of this for us and, and for our students and residents is about learning what actually happens there. Um, what are the actual practices that are going on? Uh, what are the things that are okay? I mean, may not be what we would do in our settings if you're in the United States, but if they're not harmful, not going to get real excited about it. What are things that are really harmful or potentially harmful? And then you know, how do you work within that? How do you intervene in a way that doesn't demean and destroy, but really builds up and increases the knowledge and the understanding? Um, and I think certainly when we're going in there where our, our motivation is really about bringing people to Christ and discipling people to maturity in Christ, um, how do we do that in the framework of the culture and religious beliefs that may be there. So challenging and learning for all of us that are involved. Any other benefits? I think you actually, you definitely got the benefits. Um, Don't forget about the helping to refine and clarify direction. Um, Because I do say to students and residents that a lot of what they're doing is exploring, and that's okay as long as they're doing it in a context um, where there, there is the ability for the sustainability for development. They're not causing harm. But as a student or resident, you're still exploring the vision, the direction, the call that God is giving you. And so you want to definitely do that.
Um, certainly the part of developing academically um, and professionally with that spiritual core so that both our fruit and their fruit <laughs> is really multiplying and effective for God. We talked a bit about the challenges. Um, whoops, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> Questioning this stand. Again, I'm losing everything. Um, just um, some things on the expense. It is expensive, but there are, um, especially for students and residents, I remind, especially the students, that people, you know, understand they're poor and they're willing to give them money, so take advantage of it. Um, plus, there are some legitimate scholarships out there. I know that Christian Medical and Dental Association um, has scholarships for students and residents. I don't know so much about the other Christian health professional organizations. Great, great. And I encourage you. I mean, there actually, there actually are people out there with money that want to give it away. And some of them are Christians. Um, <laughs> and so they really want to make sure that it's being used in a way that's going to be, build the kingdom for God. So, you know, really don't be afraid to get to know those people, connect to them, um, and explain to them the benefit there are for health profession students and residents to go and do these things. And, you know, and it doesn't have to be that all of their costs are covered. Um, a few hundred a thousand if they're doing one of the Asia Africa trips that's that's more expensive kind of thing can really help. Um, the insurance part of it, um, the schools, residencies will sometimes get a little worried about the malpractice liability. So our role is often giving them the reality that the liability is low. It's not zero, but it's low, and that there are actually companies out there that if they are really insistent about having special coverage will cover it. Uh, Gallagher is one. There's probably a couple others that do it very inexpensively. My institution, and I'm giving God the complete credit, just said, no problem, we'll cover all of them for liability and for travel insurance, even including repatriation. I'm like, great. So, <laughs> um, and again, for especially for young people, you know, if you're 20, 30-something and have no health problems, the insurance, if you have to purchase it for a few weeks or a couple months, is pretty inexpensive. Um, the State Department travel warnings, um, you know, having someone go to the university or the residency or the program that really understands the reality of the situation in the country um, can be very helpful um, because most of the time they're just looking at the, oh, my goodness, from the State Department. Um, they're looking at the reality of where there have been deaths and horrible injuries at some other institutions, and they don't want that. Um, no, we cannot prevent all of it, but helping them to at least have a very balanced view of what the real risk is. Um, and to me, the bottom line is my partner's on the ground. So if they tell me it is not safe to come, I am not going. <laughs> um, and so that's the other reassuring part about having places where you go to again and again and you already have colleagues and relationships there that from a safety standpoint, which Yes, the safest place to be is where God wants you. Um, and it is also wisdom <laughs> to pay attention to all of the information God is providing in front of you to make that decision um, can really help. So having those things in place help to minimize the risks, both from a liability standpoint and a safety standpoint. Um, for residents, um, one of the challenges for residencies is if you are doing your experience um, outside of the United States, you cannot use federal government salary dollars to pay for them. Um, and so that's one of the biggest barriers to residencies is how do I then cover their salary because I don't think it's right to tell them they can't have a salary because they're going to be gone doing this elective um, in China for a month. Um, so coming up with a way to do that, and hospitals can. Um, so if they use a combination of funds that they have, um, if you as programs and program directors bring together funds from alumni, um, donors, um, to bring that together, you can usually come up with their salary. It turns out to not be as much money as they think um, and cover their salary and benefits while they're gone because you can't use Medicare dollars to do that. Um, the other thing for residents is the supervision. I mean, that's important for students. It's a little bit more of there are some, tech, there are some specific requirements for residents. Um, again, though, the advantage of you all being the people working with them, get the clinical faculty appointment at wherever, and then it's not an issue anymore. Um, if you have a place that you have a consistent relationship with and you can make that an official partnership and give those folks, those faculty appointments at your institution, then that usually takes care of the faculty supervision issue for them. Can I just make a comment about sure. Um, 
you need to know what's in the travel insurance too. Um, a lot, all of them will cover some, you know, medical and dental benefits. But uh, for instance, air evacuation of someone. We used to insure people for fifty thousand dollars for that. Now you really need a hundred thousand. You're going to, especially if you're going to be across one of the oceans, it's, it's hugely expensive. So check into the details of what's in the insurance. Yes, yes. Um, and sometimes the evacuation may not be to come home, which is, is sometimes okay. Um, so that's the other piece you want to know, that if they're going to evacuate out of that country because medically you need to, what country are you going to? It's probably not going to actually be coming back to the United States. Um, and so you want to know that, and you want to be able to ensure that, yes, that's an appropriate setting for the evacuation um, to happen or some level of care. And then always check with what your insurance covers because usually your own health insurance covers something. may not cover evacuation out of the country, but will cover some things, and then you only need to purchase additional insurance for the things that your insurance doesn't already cover. Thank you, Sharon. And who are you using for NEI now for? We use Gallery. Okay. Yeah. There's also uh, crisis. We, we cover people for crisis rescue, too. So maybe your students won't be going in those areas, but there yeah. are teams that will come in and get you. And things. They don't guarantee it if you're in, you know, Somalia or somewhere, but yeah. at least there's a resource that can try to get you. <laughs> right, right. Something does happen. Yeah. It's so unpredictable in the world now. Yeah. Only God truly has control, yes. <laughs> um, and another challenge is sometimes the coordination, um, and we find that across the university with multiple health professions, right? There are no two health professional schools that have the same curricular schedule. I don't think anywhere in the world for that matter. So, um, so that is sometimes the challenge when you're, because ideally, right, you would really like more than one health profession, you know, more than one health profession area to be together on the same trip at the same time in the same place. Really tough. Um, so that's sometimes the challenge. I mean, if you can do it, great. Please do it. Um, but just be aware that that whole scheduling thing is sometimes a barrier. Um, outcomes we talked about, and since we're down to, I think, four minutes, um, or three minutes, maybe. Uh, Go ahead. On the State Department thing, one yes. thing that we do is check with the CDC. That's very important as far as recommendations and requirements for entering another country. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Check with the CDC to see what you need to do. And I well, you know, I don't, because I wasn't talking so much about the sort of the travel medicine part of it. But, yes, if you haven't found cdc.gov slash travel yet, that is your place to go. Um, and, in fact, in our preparation for students, we actually have them do that. So part of their responsibility is to go look up all that stuff so that we can discuss it and clarify and then they're also required to have a travel visit. We don't actually make them bring a note from the doctor, but um, we'll take their word for it. But what we tell them is if you go in prepared um, to the physician or other health professional that's going to see you for your travel visit and say, here's what I think I need, things will go a lot more smoothly in doing that. Um, so from yeah, travel medicine standpoint, and then um, w, I think I have this right, www.state.gov. Um, will get you to where you can register for the travel warning. So that's the other. It's called the STEP program, S-T-E-P, um, and I forget what the letters stand for. Um, but you do want, you, you should be registering, and you do want your learners that are going with you to register. Because when you do that, you will then get the automatic warnings for the country and the region you're going to. The other is that the consulate's office and the embassy will know you're going to be there. So if a true disaster happens, they will actually notify you, and they will tell you where to go and what to do and all of that. Um, and if you're there for an extended period of time, it's actually kind of nice. They have, like, you know, on all of our United States holidays, they have parties. You get invited. Um, <laughs> if it's a presidential election year, has anybody ever been out of the United States when it's been a presidential election year, right? They invite you to come to, like, you can come see the real-life results. Depending where you are, it might be, like, 2 in the morning. But you can come to the party and see the results. So, so it's, there, there are things that are worthwhile um, to realize that there are these resources um, to support you when you are working and living outside the United States. Um, it's also the best way to get your passport renewed, right, is to be out of the United States when you need to renew your passport. It's amazing. You take the application in, you handle it, hand it to that nice person at the desk in the consulate's office. A week later, you have your new passport back. It is amazing. <laughs>
Right, right, yeah. So to get there, it usually, it only works if you're there for an extended period of time. Um, and I know our time is up. So um, all of my slides have been uploaded, both from today and yesterday. I did that last night. Um, and so these are some resources. They are not necessarily all Christian, per se, um, but they're good resources about content. Um, some of them are the Prime Group, which I think was here with a booth. Yeah. Um, they have a lot of resources available. They focus heavily on compassionate whole person care makes sense, and allows them to work in secular environments. Um, William Markle on the book, The Understanding Global Health, um, he's a believer, some of you may know Bill, um, worked in Indonesia for several years. Um, Oops, sorry, wait a minute. Um, Other ones, things on the social determinants of health. Um, USAID actually has some e-learning modules um, on topics. so places where you can get content um, if you're involved in crafting global health curriculum or if you're going to be working with students and residents and, and the school is saying to you, oh, they need to have this content. You can have a place to go to. You do not have to create this yourself. You can if you want to, though. Um, and then there's a long list of references that are about the curricular parts of what's going on across the United States uh, when it comes to global health curriculum and medical schools and residencies. Um, Thank you. I'm happy to take more questions. I know our time is up and you need to go to your break. Um, but uh, thank you. And, and one uh, related to program assessment. You know, in a lot of cultures, it's not polite to uh, give you direct feedback. And have you found uh, ways to get accurate feedback or better feedback on how it's going, what needs to be changed? Yeah. Um, good question. So. I have found, probably what you have, Sherry, that relationship matters. So when you're working with the same place over time and people really get to know you, I'm just amazed at how forthright they will be. Um, (laughs) The other is doing a focus group. So where, you know, it's just you as the outside person and then everybody else is part of that local um, community. And so... They're, it's, then they're not outnumbered, um, and they can together voice the concerns. So the focus group approach seems to really help, and especially when you're working with learners. Um, although I found that, you know, regardless of where I am in the world, the 20 and 30-somethings are, I mean, they're very polite, but they have no problem telling me what they think. Um, and it's more my peer colleagues that it takes a little more time to, to, for me to really think I'm getting to the truth um, of, of what is working, what isn't working, and what's helpful and not helpful with them. Uh, but, yeah, the focus group part of it and then just the relationship building. Um, and, again, I do truly think it's God's spirit um, of people having that, feeling that comfort and that we really do care, truly care, and, um, that we're being honest and truthful with them, and therefore they can be honest and truthful with us, that that, seem, that starts to happen pretty quickly as you build relationships. And some places take longer, but... So I don't know that that's a very concrete answer, but those are well, the two things that can help. The concern is you don't know what you don't know. You don't. And really, I, I think that most of that just takes a long, long time. So again, the benefit of, you know, especially if there are long-term expats who have been working there for that, you know, 10, 15, 20, 30 years who really have figured it out and can help you get the truth. Yeah, that the intermediaries really help. If you don't have that, then a lot of it is, um, you know, time with the relationships. And it's also helpful to have, you know, a team, a small team of two or three, because often there's so much information coming at you. You know, you get kind of sensory overload. Um, so having a couple of you where you'll, you'll find that you're learning and seeing different things in the interactions, um, that can help you get, I think, a better rounded picture of the reality. Other questions? Thank you all. Have a great last day of the conference.